Welcome to Lighting Our Way, a podcast of Uganda Christian University's Standard Newspaper. Here, we hear stories of self-reflection, removing the log in our eyes so that we may see the light and transform our world. Dear listeners and viewers, you are welcome to the Standard Podcast and uh, we are here uh, to delve into a number of matters and uh, you are welcome. My name is Muduku Derek, your host for the day, and uh, I am here with Professor Ripley Lawrence-Smith, uh, the Department Chair of Bethel University, uh, located in Minnesota, in the United States of America. You are welcome, Professor. Thank you. It's yeah. great to be here. It's a pleasure hosting you on the show. And uh, to start with, we wanted you to tell us um, about yourself. We want the viewers out there to know more about you. Uh, tell us more about yourself where you come from, and uh, things in that line. Okay. Yes. Well, <clears throat> I, as you said, I, I live in Minnesota in the United States right now. Yes. Uh, I'm not, I wasn't born in Minnesota. I was uh, actually raised, for the most part, in Colorado, which is uh, more of a mountainous state. But uh, I followed a girl out to Minnesota, okay. and it all worked out. We've been married for about 35 years. Okay. So uh, we have four lovely daughters uh, three of which are married, and my youngest just graduated from university. She's about your guys' age, and uh, so that's my family life. Okay. Um, yeah, that's who I am as a as a professional. I have been teaching at Bethel University now since 2008, uh, so I'm in my 14th year there, and which, uh, being that it's the 14th year, every seven years you can apply for a sabbatical, which is why I'm here in Uganda. Uh, because I was awarded a sabbatical, and I had uh, made a friend of Monica Chibita and her husband Mike way back in the early 90s. Um, Monica had just done her master's degree at the University of Iowa, and Mike did a one-year law additional course uh, after he'd done law here in Uganda. And they came and taught at my university, and so that's uh, how I became acquainted with Uganda Christian is through the Chibitas. And so when I had a sabbatical coming up, we started talking and uh, things worked out for me to come here. And it's been amazing. Okay. That was very insightful. And uh, we appreciate your presence at Uganda Christian University. And it's on that note that I ask, uh, Professor, um, uh, what are your interests in Uganda Christian University and uh, what informed those interests? You know, we wanted to find out what has brought you here and uh, mm -hmm. do you have an, uh, a particular um, um, area that you want to delve into? Um, yes, Professor. Okay. Yeah, I knowing that Uganda Christian has a wonderful communication, mass communication and journalism program, um, that's my area. As you said, I'm chairing actually I'm co-chairing the department, uh, and we have uh, mass communication, uh, we call it relational communication, and then we also have an area called public relations organizational studies. Um, and so, but our university does also have journalism, it's not in our department. And knowing that you have a really great comm program here, and headed, you know, with the dean, uh, Dr. Chibita, um, I thought, why not come and explore not only 
um, partnerships with Uganda Christian, but also she had asked if I could come and do some seminars for the grad students and the faculty. Um, so that was my initial interest. But as I've become familiar with Uganda Christian, uh, I think there's a lot of different areas that we can possibly partner in. Um, my university actually has a long-standing partnership with UCU okay. uh, in our nursing program. Yes. So some of our nursing faculty have come over to UCU for probably more than a decade, okay. uh, bringing students as well as faculty and uh, coming back and forth. Uh, are there any other particular areas you can pinpoint where we could uh, strike a partnership? Yeah. One of the things that we're thinking about uh, we have in our journalism program, we have a course that runs in January, and faculty and students have been going places. We've been to India, we've been to Morocco, we've been to Guatemala, and we work with the community there or a local school, and we co-produce a magazine. And so we find stories to tell, and then we create the stories together. And this uh, magazine, I think it's been published twice, probably working on a third one now. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's not really a magazine. It's really a, a book. Um, and the students write all these stories, do all of the graphic design, all the photography. And it's been an award-winning award publication. And so one of my thoughts is to have that kind of partnership with UCU. And so some of our students would come over from Bethel and work with you guys and uh, tell stories that need to be told and then produce them in a, in a volume like that. So that's one of the areas. Okay. Uh, I think there are other areas. Um, I teach a storytelling class, and I think it would be wonderful to bring students over and, and have that storytelling class take place here, and our students could work together um, with you guys. So that's some of it is student exchange. There are some other things Dr. Chibita and I are talking about that might involve research. Um, some of my research interests and the things that Dr. Chibita is interested in and some of the faculty, there are some overlaps. And so we might be exploring some research avenues too. Okay. Yeah. Professor, I'm well aware that you're a teacher, and uh, um, the next question really will involve educating our listeners and viewers. Um, and I'm I know you're familiar with uh, discourse analysis, mm -hmm. so I wanted to find out from you exactly. Uh, we can't take it for granted. Maybe some people out there are not aware of it. Um, to start with, what is discourse analysis? <clears throat> discourse analysis is a fairly complicated research methodology. Um, what makes it interesting is it's very different. Uh, have you guys had a research methods course already in your yes. curriculum? So probably the kind of research that you were taught was based on uh, surveys, maybe interviews, focus groups. And so you're collecting information and you are identifying variables. You're quantifying the data that you've produced. And then you're running statistical tests on it to find out if you have a statistically significant finding, right? Um, discourse analysis wipes all of that away. And what you're interested in is not why people are saying what they're saying, but what they're doing when they're saying it, right? And so you're looking at what the moves we make with our language, right? So for instance, I could say something like, um, is it cold in here? Uh, producer, are you cold? I could ask a question, but I'm not really asking a question. 
So the discourse analyst would say, I'm actually implying something. I'm doing something with that question. I'm not just asking for information, wondering if he's cold, right? What I'm doing is saying, should we turn the heat up, you know, or let's turn the heat up. So I'm actually saying something. I'm trying to get something done with my language, but I've used a question to do it. And so that's what the discourse analyst does is um, you might go out and find naturally occurring language out there. So it usually involves recording something. So you might record a family interacting over at a dinner table, or you might, um, you might get permission to record in a a hearing, or maybe it's um, people being seen for post-traumatic stress disorder. uh, And so you're, you're, recording sessions with a therapist. And then you take those sessions and you don't ask why are they doing or saying what they're saying. You are looking for what they're doing with their language. And there are all kinds of tools that we use to examine what people do with their language. Okay. So. Yes, Professor, still on that note, um, bring it down to the university, Uganda Christian University in particular. How best can we utilize uh, discourse analysis to to better this, the university? And uh, if you could even broaden it to the country at large, we yeah. uh, would be glad. Yes. <laughs> um, so when we did the seminars, uh, some of the faculty had some questions that they were interested in exploring, doing some research on. And let's say that you wanted to Here's a topic that we could all relate to right now, given what's happening in the Ukraine, right? Yes. Uh, we know that Russia has invaded the Ukraine and uh, Vladimir Putin went on air and gave a speech saying why he was doing what he's doing, right? And um, suggesting motives. Discourse analysts were not interested in the motives. We're interested in what he was doing with his language. And so, for instance, it, it gives you another angle to understand what's going on. And usually it's a, it's something that you would totally miss unless you approach it through discourse and analyzing the discourse as action rather than discourse as trying to lift the lid on his brain and ask why on earth is he invading another country, right? So I think what the faculty here, uh, where they can benefit and what some of them might find it useful in is it, it just offers another lens into what's happening that you're not going to get without that methodology. Um, so I know some of the journalism profs were looking at questions that it might be really useful for. Uh, some of the grad students that attended the seminar also um, might use that methodology. And one of the ways it benefits those faculty and students is... Um, Right now, there's kind of a lean in a lot of um, journals, research journals, toward interpretive methodologies. It used to be that most journals were uh, receiving quantitative methodologies and and studies. But there's really been uh, more acceptance to not only interpretive work, but mixed method work. And so it's one thing. Here's the example that, that I often give. Um, when I'm teaching about these methodologies in a, in a class. So let's say uh, I, I always carry a pocket knife with me, right? And let's say I, I offer you this and say, tell me about it. 
and you hold it and you go, well, it's not very heavy, it's smooth, it's metallic, um, it's got all these tools on it, uh, you know, it folds out into a pliers and so on, and you could tell me all about it, but if I told you that this was my, uh, my deceased grandfather's pocket knife and it's all I have left that was his to remember him by, now it takes on a whole new kind of meaning, right? And so that interpretive, that's the interpretive lens where we understand the meaning of something um, as opposed to just measuring it and weighing it and its surface. And so I think from a student perspective, your understanding of reality is so much richer when you, sure, get the quantitative data, but if you can add that interpretive data now you really understand things. Um, and I like to bring it back. I teach at a Christian university as well. Um, the Apostle Paul said, um, now we see through a glass darkly. Someday we'll see face to face and know reality as it is. But for right now, we see through a glass darkly. And I think by adding multiple methods, we can try to improve how we see things, you know, to see God's world and, and creation. So, I don't know if that helps. <laughs> Professor, we, we, we are thankful for that insightful information about discourse analysis, and uh, I don't think we have stayed the same. So uh, delving into other issues, uh, we are all media practitioners, and uh, uh, we want to compare our situation with what is outside there. So we are all aware that you're from the United States, and uh, you deal with uh, students even uh, our age. Um, so, Professor, I wanted you to share with us... Um, uh, what are the challenges that you have noticed that, uh, uh, especially at the training and practicing level, um, that uh, um, people face uh, in the United States in the media mm -hmm. area? Yeah, and we wanted you to compare our situation with yours and probably bring it down to us so so that we can know more. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, there's multiple angles to that question in terms of thinking about the media, and I'm I'm interested in. Um, your perspective uh, as a student, as a young person here in Uganda, and how that might differ from what I'm observing in, in students your age back in the States. So, uh, so our media students, first of all, they are so shaped and informed during their upbringing by social media now. Everything they see on social media, uh, they're people your age aren't on Facebook anymore in the States. They're all on Instagram, Snapchat, um, TikTok, YouTube. And so all those channels, not only do they have a lot of channels, but all those channels are shaping the way they understand media content. And so I think part of what, what it's affecting is long-form storytelling, right? Almost all of them understand short-form storytelling, and so that becomes a challenge when you're teaching production values and how to do how to tell stories. Um, some stories need to unfold over time, right? You can't tell them in a 90-second TikTok, and uh, or if you do, you're cutting certain things out. And I think it's changed um, how we think about getting people's attention, given all of the clutter in the media sphere. Um, I think it's changed. What students, obviously, what's cool changes over time, but I think it changes much more rapidly now. And 
I think it's also changing, you know, as journalists, we're always asking the question, what's newsworthy, right? What kind of story needs to be told? And um, it's hard to, it's, I think it's harder to find that now when the stories are changing so fast and when people have so many channels. Um, I don't know about you guys. It might be interesting to hear. Uh, our students don't watch news anymore, right? They don't watch media news. They get all their news from their phone. And some of the news that they get is from YouTube or TikTok. Um, and so part of what that creates, too, is on those channels, I'm going to find what what I want, right? Because the algorithms will keep feeding you more of the same. Oh, you liked that? Try this, right? And it's going to be more of the same instead of a journalist, somebody who understands the landscape and the stories that are out there right now, and that journalist saying, this is important, you should look at this, uh, the young people in the States aren't getting their news that way, okay. right? They are choosing their news in a sense. And so I think part of what it's doing is it's narrowing their field of view a little bit. Okay. It's kind of like, you're, do you guys listen to Spotify? Yes, we do. Okay. Yes, we do. So... Right. And Spotify is the same way. Oh, you listen to that? You might like this playlist, right? Or you might like this artist. And so these algorithms are, in a sense, training us and and narrowing our field of view and our and our tastes, in a sense. So I don't know. What what's your reaction as a young person here in Uganda? How does that compare to maybe what's happening in the States? Currently, we use both the traditional methods. Uh, I mean, the traditional media, which is... Uh, television uh we still watch television uh however many of us also access twitter we get the breaking news uh as fresh as it is and uh yeah i'm sure in this room all of us on twitter so yeah yeah, yeah. although i must say countrywide there is need for that number to grow because yeah we, we are it's a still a, a process that uh the country is still going uh, improving in yeah yeah but in the prospect of Uganda Christian University, we are a step ahead. And that's, so I think that's a really interesting dilemma for journalists, right? Because um, in the States, newspaper readership is on the decline. It yes. has been for years. Um, and there's fewer papers now than, uh, you know, I won't say ever because, right, if you go way back, but the, the number of papers is declining rapidly. And part of it is young people don't read the newspaper. Um, young people don't watch television news. Uh, young people aren't accessing the major news networks, CNN, NBC, uh, NPR. Um, you know, they aren't accessing those networks. And so I think that that's, that's a dilemma for storytelling for journalists. How are we going to tell the stories in a compelling way to get the attention of the TikTok audience, right? Um, and I think that that's, that's a teaching challenge. How are we going to train media production students and journalists uh, so that you can effectively tell meaningful stories uh, and get people's attention? Uh, that's, that's an ongoing challenge. Yes. So, Speaking of that, yeah. actually, um, here at Uganda Christian University, we have a, a full-blown school of journalism, media, and communication. And uh, as a teacher, uh, you even asked the question, how best can we impart knowledge um, to our students mm -hmm. so that they can go out in the current state of the media, um, be influential, and uh, 
um, um, uh, add their voice to the media industry? How how best as a teacher can you advise um, the media world in Uganda? Yeah. I think one of the one of the benefits of our age. So I've kind of talked about the drawbacks, but one of the benefits is the tools are so accessible. The cost of the equipment has come down. Um, all of the the software that that we need to tell our stories, to produce video, solid video, solid audio, um, is becoming more accessible. And those packages, so we teach our students the Adobe Suite. I think you guys learn the same here. Yes. Um, and all those tools now are so interconnected, right? And so the what we need to go out and produce the story is actually easier and more accessible than ever. So that's the good part. I think what still remains the same are the elements of good storytelling. Um, and so that is, that's been the approach that we've taken, that no matter what channel you're going to put your story on. So I love the fact that you've got people here, uh, some that are doing the, the video and audio part of the, the channel. I know you guys are doing podcasts as part of this now, too. And podcasts is one area. So, again, young people your age in the States, they don't listen to radio anymore. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen to radio stations. But all those radio stations are doing podcasts now, too, online, and the students are listening to podcasts, which is an interesting flip, right? In, in the video life of a student, everything is becoming shorter. But podcasts actually is a long-form storytelling. And so maybe that will be the salvation of long-form storytelling is podcasting. So, you know, people put in their earbuds, go work out, and they're listening to podcasts. And so I think there is an area that people your age can capitalize on by getting really great at, at uh, audio production. Because there are podcasts worth listening to, and then there's really bad podcasts. And people who have the production skills can... Um, make a more aesthetically pleasing, more interesting podcast. Even just the way you edit it together, right? Um, you can make it snappier and make it more listenable. So I think that that's one of the areas that that you guys as students can capitalize on. Um, because I think podcasting is still somewhat cutting edge, right? Um, as radio dies and it and it picks up. But then it, the good storytelling is the other... Um, common theme, I think, uh, knowing that you're taking the audience on an adventure, any story that you're telling them, um, you've got to hook them at the beginning. There's got to be some tension in there to keep them involved. Um, there's got to be pluses and minuses on the arc of the story so that there's there's a step forward and there's a hindrance, there's an obstacle. And in the sense, you're you're asking them to join you in that story, no matter what story it is, if it's a new story, if it's a, a feature, um, you know, you're you're using the art of storytelling to hook them, involve them and give them something at the end that they could take away. Uh, and I think as long as as we're preparing our students with those storytelling techniques, um, because when you guys go get your first job, I can guarantee you the camera gear is going to be different. They may use different software. Um, there's a, a new software package called DaVinci Resolve that some of our students are getting excited about. Um, and so like what's next after Adobe, right? There will be something, we don't know what it's going to be. Um, 
And so that's going to change. But what's not going to change is how you tell stories. So that's one Thank thing you. I would offer. <laughs> Uh, so that was uh, also a good piece of information, especially uh, from the media bit of it. And now um, you said it that uh, you are from a Christian-based university, and uh, here at Uganda Christian University, we are also, I mean, it's in the name, Christian. Right, yeah. So uh, I wanted you to share with us um, how vital it is um, to, to have uh, that Christian impact in our day-to-day lives and uh, even in our education. How vital should we uh, you know, take in Christianity? Yeah. So I, I wasn't educated in a Christian environment and Christian schools. And uh, so, but I, the Lord saved me early on in my life. Um, it's a whole story. My family was hit by a drunk driver. I was thrown from the car, uh, could have been killed, but the Lord preserved me. And, um, and then shortly after, uh, he came into my life through a wonderful Sunday school teacher uh, and who introduced me to Jesus. Um, so fast forward to Christian education. When when I kind of first found out about Christian universities, um, it's like the whole missing piece of my worldview that the rest of my education had ignored was invited in, right? Um, because if we study the world, but keep God out of it, we're missing all of the kind of the background, the motivation, um, a whole a whole slice of reality. And so that's, I think, one of the, the motivating factors is, so for instance, what I study is intercultural communication. And one of the areas I study is refugee resettlement. And I know Uganda is one of the largest receiving nations of refugees in the world, and uh, which is amazing. That's so awesome. Um, so I could study that as just people who have been displaced without considering God, but I'm missing a whole aspect to that refugee's journey. Um, and in, when I can connect that refugee's journey to the fact that Jesus was a refugee early on in his life. Remember when the angel appeared to Joseph and said, get your family out of Bethlehem because Herod's coming after you. And so Jesus was actually a refugee early on in his life. That I think that adds a whole dimension to understanding the refugee plight, God's heart for people who have been displaced. Um, so yeah, I could study it as social science, but for me, once you make it missional, um, there's it becomes more meaningful, and uh, and it becomes more true. I think. Um, so I think that that goes with any discipline. Uh, in the U.S., we call it faith and learning integration. Yeah. So and Bethel. So Bethel uh, is the Hebrew word for God's house, right? Bethel, um, and so that's where the university gets its name. And likewise, yeah, we've got chapel services like you have here with worship. Uh, there are fellowships in the in the dormitories and, and things like that. Um, but to me, where and that's that's a really important part of of the student life as you're worshiping together and building those relationships. Um, but in the classroom, which is where I have most of my interaction with students, uh, it's allowing you to talk about a big part of who you are as Christ followers, 
alongside history and psychology and journalism and media production, right? Because you all could be prepared to write stories for a newspaper or, or do media production for a television station or a private company. But if, if you bring your whole self, then it's also about telling meaningful stories, stories that as a journalist don't violate your internal ethic as well as some external ethic. Um, about doing harm to others. And so I think that that's part of why we need and do Christian education um, is, is because a Christ follower, this is true of my students when I, when I recommend them for jobs or internships, um, what I'll often hear from the employer is uh, there's something different about your students, right? They work harder, they're trustworthy, um, they, they are really good at what they do. And part of that motivation, what makes them that way, is Christ in them. Um, and I think that that, you know, it's not like, oh, we're, we follow Christ because it gives us an, uh, an edge in the job market. But it does, right? It's not why we follow Christ, but because we follow Christ, I'm an upstanding, outstanding person. And it, it shows up. Right in the employer. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question entirely. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on, Professor. On a lighter note, um, I am well aware that uh, you love competitive soccer, and uh, you started out as a player, and even went in as a coach. So that shows to us the degree at which you love this. Uh, tell us more about this, and uh, yeah, uh, when did it start, and. Yeah. Uh, do you still do it? Because uh, given your age, we could be doubting. Oh. <laughs> yes, um, so, yeah, I started playing as a kid, probably like many of you, um, and grew up playing in, in school and in clubs. And uh, when I went to college, I played. Uh, we had at the college, it was a, an, an unofficial team, but we went around and played different universities. Um and then when I graduated from college, I received a, a position. One of my first jobs was coaching a high school soccer team. I did that for two years, and then I received a position to coach a college team, and I did that for about 10 years and uh, loved it. I loved working with the players because I loved the game. I loved teaching the game. And, um, yes, I, I have continued to play. Our league got suspended even as an old guy. Um, I play in an old men's league. Uh, our league got suspended with COVID, uh, so we haven't played the last two years. But um, it is, I think it's going to boot up again this summer. I don't know if I'm going to play because I did, I had uh, a little knee surgery done because I had okay. messed up one of my meniscus. And uh, so we'll see if I keep playing. But I, I, when I stopped coaching, I started refereeing. And I refereed for about eight years as well. Um, we have right near my home, uh, it's called the, um, uh, now what, I'm going to blank on what it's called. We have a huge soccer complex. And uh, it's one of the largest soccer complexes in the United States. And so we get tournaments. They have a big international tournament that comes there every summer. And uh, so I coach or I ref tournaments and things like that. So that's Part of what I do, part of what I love. So in terms of the professional side, I we have a, a, the Minnesota Loons is our professional team, part of the 
um, MLS in the States. It, the MLS, I don't think, is on the same par as uh, probably African leagues and yeah. European leagues, but it's growing. Um, our, our athletes compete with all of the, you know, professional football, professional basketball, baseball. Um, so we, I know uh, soccer, is soccer the, or football the biggest uh, sure, sport sure. in Africa? Yeah, yeah, in Africa and Uganda, yeah. Yeah. it is soccer. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not the biggest sport in Minnesota, um, so it's harder to, to produce really good teams. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, when I, internationally, I like to follow Chelsea. Uh, they were good a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I like uh, to fi- follow uh, Bayern Munich as well. Okay, so, quite a strong uh, choice. So, yeah, well, <laughs> Bayern is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. At Uganda Christian University, I must say that we, 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 we like to enrich ourselves in sport and uh, we believe that it's a good avenue and uh, it's, it, we need to nurture our talent because um, it's an aspect we can't ignore. And as much as we have academia, uh, our natural talents have to be uh, taught about and improved upon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking about talents, um, I have a number of colleagues out there who just view the guitar from a distance and uh, they probably <laughs> don't even know how to play it, but they love the sound that comes out of it. And uh, yeah. I'm well aware that uh, you're a fan of the folk guitar. And uh, yeah, it's on that note that I ask um, what, 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 what you love and uh, tell us about this guitar and what you love about it and the mood you like to create as, as you play a guitar. Yeah. Um, at, well, you're right. I play steel string guitar, uh, both electric and acoustic. And I enjoy, I, I grew up playing country and folk music. Uh, so uh, Simon and Garfunkel. You've heard of Simon and Garfunkel? Um, John sure. Denver, way back in the day. Uh, I grew up in Denver, and so okay. he was a, a country western artist. Okay. Um, and yeah, I enjoy... Uh, I, I went to college on a uh, vocal music scholarship, and so I enjoy singing and playing, and um, it just, it, it relaxes me. I, I like the um, music that causes us to reflect, and uh, so I enjoy that kind. But uh, I've gotten into blues a little bit lately, too. Um, I like the, the rhythm and kind of the... Um, yeah, the, the message behind blues, uh, sort of the, it just relaxes, it's mellow. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah. those are some of the styles that I enjoy. And um, it's, it's something, too, that if I can keep, you know, uh, increasing my talent, I enjoy that. I like learning new licks, and um, it's just challenging. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Just uh, to put it on record, in Uganda... We such music is on the on the rise. Um, yeah, we are having more live bands and uh, uh, kids going out there to learn more about these instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, however, much much of the music is still uh, we have. Uh, it's called Chidandali, where yeah we have our style of music. We dance too. It's a bit faster and uh, more engaging. Yeah. But yeah, we shall also learn. We shall get to learn more of uh, that yeah. kind of music. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, no, uh, it's great. I, I've enjoyed, I've played on a, my fair share of worship teams too. And uh, I enjoy, you know, playing Christian worship music. And I've enjoyed the worship services here. Okay. Uh, when your band gets going, it's a lot of fun. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, uh, sure, Professor. Uh, uh, I think it's on that note uh, that we come to the end of uh, uh, this in- uh, engagement with you. And uh, we are so grateful for your presence. Yes, and uh, uh, just maybe uh, to wrap it up, uh, you could share your final remarks, um, probably what you, you, you want to tell the viewers um, yeah. so that they can take that home. Yeah, I, I want to thank you first for your hospitality, uh, not only here in this room, in this space, but at Uganda Christian. I've been received so warmly uh, by everyone, and it's just been a blessing to, okay. to be here. Um, I've This is my first time in East Africa, oh. and so you have introduced me well okay. to East Africa, yes. and I would have to say that Uganda is indeed the pearl yes. of Africa. Yeah. And uh, so I, I do thank you from the bottom of my heart yeah. for that. Um, everyone here in the MassCon journalism program has been wonderful. And uh, so my, I, I guess I would say my richest blessings to you as students and to your school. Uh, you guys have an amazing thing going on here. I think the Lord has anointed this place. Um, and I think the raising up young Christian professionals is going to be a huge part of the future of Uganda. Yes. And so um, I'm Happy to have been here for a brief time and experience this place and be blessed by you guys. So thank you so much. Yeah. We, we are so. grateful and uh, we pray that uh, you send our regards back to Minnesota. Yeah, uh, You could tell the people out there that we are also uh, just like them, we are media practitioners. This has been the Standard Podcast and my name remains Maduku Derek. Till next time, thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you have been inspired by the wisdom of self-reflection. Please find us on www.standard.ucu.sc.ug and share with others this message that lights our way.